0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn his truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Allow me to read this passage. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he will take away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire and there burn. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Let's bow again. Lord, as we open up your word today, Lord, we pray for your wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and guidance so that we can understand your word and apply it to our lives and know exactly what it means to us today. Lord, guide us in our study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in this passage, we just moved into a new chapter, chapter 15. We see this very familiar passage about the the vine and the branches. And it's a beautiful illustration showing the expected relationship that we as Christians are supposed to have with our Lord Jesus Christ. As well as the expected fruit that he expects us to bear. Now, a lot of people say, you know, well, everybody's different. Everybody produces different fruit and different amounts of fruit, which is true. But the key is we're supposed to be producing fruit, period. There's no reason why we should not be producing fruit. In this, we're going to be seeing uh, four main elements that are described in this passage. We see the vine, we see the vine dresser, we see the branches, as well as the fruit. There's one key word that you'll keep hearing over and over. It's the word abide, to remain in, to abide with the Lord. Then there's three other words that are kind of tacked on with that. And those are the words love, obedience, and joy says so we go through the study, listen for those words, and I'll try to describe them as we go. But the very two, first two words of this passage says, "I am." We have dealt a good bit with that statement, "I am." It's ego I me in the in the Greek, and basically what it means is that I am God. That's what Jesus is saying. He is equating himself with God Almighty. Now nobody everybody knew what he was meaning when he was stating that in those times and nobody ever really dealt with that except for the Pharisees they hated it when he said that and they would say that's blasphemy and they would want to arrest him and kill him because of that But here is the seventh time in the book of John that he states I am This time he says I am the true vine the true vine Notice he doesn't just say a vine. He says the true vine. There have been many imitations, many imitation messiahs that had come and gone, and there have been many since then. But Jesus is the only true vine, the only one that can produce spiritual fruit. The only way he produces spiritual fruit is by working in us and through us as we are connected with him as children of God. So we look and we realize that he is the only source of spiritual life, as well as spiritual fruit. So we look and we see this, this image. Now, for many of us, we, we've seen grape vines, we've seen muscadine vines and scuppernong vines and things of this nature. So we kind of get the image. But you can imagine the people in Jerusalem in that surrounding region, they had plenty of knowledge about the vineyards because uh, the fruit of the vine was very important to them. Their water sources were many times not fit to drink because they'd be stagnant, and so either the fruit of the vine or the the reconstituted uh, wine that they would use was their mainstay. And so we look and we see that uh, he is the true vine, and many then had a very mental picture of what he was talking about, but... Also in that passage it says, "And my father is the vine dresser." Now that's in verse one, but we're going to wait just a little while before we get into the vine dresser. So now let's look at the branches. The branches are us, believers in Christ, those who have a relationship with Him because we have accepted Him as our Messiah, our Savior, and we have surrendered Him to, to Him as Lord. So we look and we see that the branches are true. Believers in Christ. Now, verse 3 shows that by saying, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You've accepted my word. Here's the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've accepted the words of Christ. You've accepted Him as Messiah. And because of that, we are cleansed from our sins. Well, this cleansing is the evidence that we are truly belong to Him. So, the branches that are described here in this passage... Are Christians. Here's the situation. The branches do one of three things. They produce no fruit, they produce more fruit, or they produce much fruit. So we're going to kind of break those three down for just a moment. What about producing no fruit? Well, there's a lot of people that look and they read Uh, Verse six, it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they're gathered. Uh, They gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. There's a lot of people that use that say, oh, you can lose your salvation. If you do not produce any fruit for the Lord, he's going to cut you off. You're going to be gathered up. You're going to be burned in hell. That's pretty much what people are saying. Well, I just got through saying that the branches are children of God. Well, we have seen so many other times where, number one, we did not earn our salvation. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If we receive it as a gift, then how is it that we lose it by doing something or not doing something? And if we don't do something, then how could we gain it back by earning it back? That is not biblical. This passage of Scripture is not talking about salvation, it's talking about fruit bearing. And so, if you want to say that this is a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, well, you can look at these as being not true Christians. But I truly believe that this is actually talking about a Christian who is not producing fruit. Let me be honest with you. There's been a time or times in each and every one of our lives where we were not producing fruit. Right? Everybody here has had periods of time in your life that you have not produced spiritual fruit. That's what it's talking about here. When we go through those times, and sometimes we use that old-fashioned term backslidden, where we have slidden away from God. It's called rebellion is what it is. We have turned our backs on God and gone our own way. And yes, we can do that as a child of God. I've done it. You've done it. We have all done it. We have all had times in our lives where we were not producing spiritual fruits. That's what this is talking about. Times in our lives that we are not producing spiritual fruit. Verse 6 says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away in branches and dried up and uh, gathered, cast in the fire and burned. We look and we see that Here's what God is really doing. He's doing some extensive pruning. Have you ever seen where uh, a branch on a tree is diseased and you cut it all the way back to the trunk of the tree? And then maybe a year later you go out there and guess what? There's another branch coming out in that exact same place. There's some... I don't know what kind of trees or bushes they are out in this, uh, area below the walkway, the ramp out here. I have seen those things get cut drastically back, probably six or seven times since I've been here, and every time they just grow right back. Just like they were, had never been cut. Well, that's what God does sometimes. He sees the disease. He sees that which is not supposed to be there. And he does drastic spiritual surgery and cuts it back to the back to the quick, back to the core. But there's always the desire from God that a new branch will spring forth, renewed. And that's what God does. He never throws us away. He never says, I'm done with you. I'll never love you again. I will not forgive your sins again, God will always renew, restore our relationship with him. That's his, that's his desire. He never wants anyone to stay in that non-fruit-bearing stage. He loves us and sometimes the, the judgment, the discipline is severe. So that's really what we're talking about is really a a, a spiritual surgery to remove the cancer, to remove the, that which is diseased. But he also does something else. He says that he will prune. Look at verse 2. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every pr- branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that there will be more fruit. Now, God's desire is for us to produce fruit, Right? He doesn't want just the least amount amount that we can possibly produce and say, okay, I'm bearing fruit. We should always have a desire to produce more fruit. Well, here's what God does. He prunes us. Pruning is taking away that which is dead and diseased, which we've already talked about, but it's also taking away some of the healthy, or at least some of that which is actually still growing and still producing some fruit. Now, did a little bit of research on the pruning process, whether it's a a grapevine, whether it's a tree. Here's basically what the, the arborists, the ones who are professionals at doing this, they examine each and every branch. Number one, they look for the healthy branches, the ones that are already producing much fruit and have the potential to produce even more. And what they do is they prune away that which is weaker. That which is not does not look like it's going to be producing much fruit. And so they will prune that away. That allows the sap, all the nutrients, to go more into the healthier branch that's already producing fruit. And will enable it to produce better and more fruit. Here's another thing they do. Have you ever seen a tree or a vine? where some of the branches cross each other and in the wind and the rain they start rubbing against each other. Well, guess what happens over a little period of time? The bark starts peeling off and they become diseased. And they will both die away or become diseased and neither one of them will be able to produce fruit because they're putting all their effort into trying to heal what is damaged. So, again, the pruner will lop off either one or both of those. Usually he'll look at the one that's heading in the right direction that he wants it to go, or the most healthy one, and he'll prune the other one away. What's the purpose for pruning? It's not that you're trying to eliminate something that's producing fruit. It's so that what is producing fruit can produce more fruit. Now, how do we put that into human terms? Here's the situation. God has given each and every one of us at least one predominant spiritual gift, right? That's that's biblical, by the way. We have a spiritual gift that God wants us to, to focus on and to use so that we can minister in His name in the world around us. Now, what happens if we cannot say no to anybody? We have this one predominant spiritual gift That we're supposed to be doing. Let's just say it's teaching. And you're teaching a Sunday school class. But you're asked to serve on the finance committee. The building and grounds committee. This committee. On top of all your other responsibilities as a human being. As a a husband or wife. As a mother or father. As a worker. You've already put in 40 hours plus a week. You're taking your kids to ball games. Soccer practice. All these different things. You're trying to be a good husband, wife, father, mother. You're trying to do all these things. And on top of that, you've got meeting after meeting after meeting. What's going to probably suffer? What God's called you to do most. Your teaching. The time of preparation is going to suffer so basically, the pruning process is sometimes God saying, you need to examine your life and see what is the most priority in your life and actually say no to some of the other things. Find out, number one, where God wants you. Where does God want you to be serving him? What giftedness does he have in you? Focus on that gift and let everything else be secondary or third area or whatever. Even eliminate some of the things that are keeping you from being what God wants you to be. That's what the pruning process does. And it also is the process of looking at our lives spiritually. What is going on in our lives that God doesn't like? Is there sin that we're committing that we're not repenting of? Or something that continues in our life that we know that God does not like? And we're not willing to give it up. Sometimes God takes the the scalpel and he does that spiritual surgery to remove it. That's called part of the pruning process. But the whole purpose for this process is that we produce not just some fruit, but more fruit. And then he says, I want you to produce much fruit. Our goal as a child of God should be to produce as much fruit as we possibly can. Well, how do we do this? It's found in the word abiding. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Or you can't do anything. Whichever way you want to say it, whether you've got the positive or the negative side of it, Either way, without Jesus, there's nothing spiritual of worth that we can do. So here's the word, abide, to remain in him and to allow him to remain in us. Well, how do we abide in him? Well, it began the day that you said, Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe because of my sins, I deserve eternal death. That I believe that you died on the cross to save me from my sins. And I accept you as my Savior. And I love you because you love me. And I want to surrender to your lordship of my life. That's when we begin abiding in him. Well, how does he abide in us? Well, the natural process, and I've been sharing a lot about this as we've studied through this. And I pray that you've been reading the messages I've been sharing with you on Wednesdays. Dealing with the Holy Spirit, well, that's the abiding in us. As we abide in Christ, the natural spiritual thing that takes place is that He, through His Holy Spirit, dwells in us. He becomes a part of us. God with us is Jesus, God in us is the Holy Spirit. That's important. We must surrender anew each and every day so the Holy Spirit can abide in us, work through us for His honor and glory. And so the abiding is that two-way street. We abide in Christ. He is our Lord, our Savior, and He abides in us as the Holy Spirit works in us. So that only happens when we live a surrendered life to Him. And what's the result? We produce much fruit. And as a result of producing much fruit, we glorify God. Look at verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce or that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Hmm. God actually wants to see proof that we're his disciples. As we produce much fruit, we glorify God, and as a result, it is evident that. That we are his disciples. So as we bear fruit, it proves that we are children of God. So we look and we see that not only do we glorify God as a result, but there's also the result of a right, right relationship. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Notice the very first word, if. If. If you abide in me, and if I abide in you, my word abides in you, then you can ask anything you wish, and it will be done for you. So, how much money are you go ask for? What kind of car, or truck, or SUV do you want? Is that what he's talking about? No. You've got to go back to when somebody asked Jesus, how should we pray? He said, "Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we pray. We pray for God's will to be done through us here. So our prayers are not self-centered. They're God-centered. Our prayers are for God to work in us and through us to accomplish His good and acceptable and perfect will. That's what we get when we have this right relationship. It produces this as we bear fruit and as we abide in Him. If we abide in the love of Christ, then guess what's going to happen? Naturally, should happen naturally if we abide in the love of Christ. That love should radiate out from us and we should love others as well. Do you remember that great commandment? Somebody asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? That you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. If you look over in Luke. And the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is bearing fruit. Abiding in him, love God with everything that you have in you. And then love others with the love that is living in you through the abiding of him. Sounds simple, doesn't it? It sounds so simple. We abide in Christ, he abides in us, and all these things just happen to work out. There's one problem, and you see that problem every time you look in the mirror. It's me. I choose how much I want to abide I, I give God, I give the Holy Spirit as much leeway as I want to give Him. And that's called sin. We need to be surrendered. Even when we don't like what He wants us to do, we need to do it because it's going to bear fruit. God's not going to make us or ask us or guide us to do anything that's going to be contrary to His will. He wants to be glorified in every single thing that we do because it's producing spiritual fruit. So even if it means facing trials, persecution, difficult times, going against the flow of society, which if you're a Christian, you're pretty much going against the flow of society right now, then that's what we're supposed to do. It's called living a surrendered life. So we look at all these things, and he says, not only do you receive my love, not only are your prayers answered, but here's one more thing I want you to receive. I want to give you my joy. Not only just joy, but that your joy may be full, complete, filled up to overflowing. Now, what is joy? Well, We read a passage of Scripture, it's called the Beatitudes. Blessed are, happy are those who do these things. And you go through what's supposed to make us happy, you say, that's supposed to make me happy? Because one of them says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Hmm, that doesn't sound like something to make me happy. But that's what the joy is all about. It's being found faithful in Christ. And this joy is found no matter what the circumstances are. We we kind of equate joy and peace together to some degree because they're kind of both counter-reactive to what our society is doing, to what our situation may call for. We may go through a time of persecution. We may go through a trial. We may go through a time of tribulation. But we can still find peace and joy in that time. Only because... We know that we're not facing it alone. The Lord God Almighty is with us. That's what the abiding is all about. We are in Him. He is in us. And that is our only source of joy. Well, look at verse 1 again. I am the true vine, that's Jesus, and my Father, God Almighty, God the Father, is the vine dresser. Jesus, at this time, still in a human form on earth. And we struggle with the understanding that there are slight limitations to what he can do in his earthly form. He's still 100% God, 100% man. My mind can't comprehend that. But there were certain limitations he placed on himself. When somebody asked him when when these times are coming, he said, only the Father knows when this will happen. He could only be in one place at one time, so he was not omnipresent. We know that in last week's message, he even said, My Father is greater than I. That was only because he was still in his human form. But what we see is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one God. But they tend to have some different roles. Here we see Jesus taking the role of the vine. But God is taking the role of the vine dresser. God is mainly seen throughout the scriptures as one who examines the hearts and lives of his people. He brings judgment when his people disobey. If you you read the Old Testament, you see this roller coaster between God and his people Israel. Israel would get on The top of a peak because they were sold out to God, surrendered to God, and he was blessing them beyond measure. Then they would fall away and begin worshiping idols and God would take his hand of blessings off of them and bring forth judgment. That's when the surrounding nations would attack them and have victories over them. And so what does that mean to us? God does the same thing to us. He sees our roller coasters He sees the times that we are truly surrendered to him. That he has full reign over us. And he blesses that. But then when he sees the times that we have rejected his will. And we're doing our own thing. And we're not being found faithful. We're not living that surrendered life. Then he brings out the pruning hook. And he starts to prune away. And he gets rid of the dead and the diseased. And then he starts looking, how can I improve the life of this child of mine? Yes, he's got good intentions. Everything he's doing is good, but it isn't the best. What does he or she need to give up? What does he or she need to prune out of their lives so that they can be the best for me? That's the hard question we have to ask. God... You know my heart. You know I want to do what is good and acceptable in your life. But there's one other part to that. Perfect. To do that which is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Lord, it's kind of easy for me to do things that I think are good and acceptable. I'm not doing too good on the perfect part. How do I live a perfect life according to you, Lord? Oh, you got to prune. you got to take away the parts that are not producing much fruit. you got to take away the things that are still good in my eyes and even in the eyes of the world and even among the Christian world. You want to get rid of that. Put it on the back burner so I can focus on what you really called me to do. Got it. It's hard to do. Because your friends, people in this church, want you to do certain things. It's not your giftedness. But it's hard to say no. As a minister, it's hard to say no. As a deacon, it's hard to say no. As a faithful Christian, it's hard to say no. But ask God, what's the main thing? What is it that you want me to do perfect? What is it that you want me to produce much fruit through? Help me to focus on that. Let everything else fade into the background. Then I'll find out, is there something else you want me to add to this once I get this right? What's the big picture between you and God? What is it that He wants you to be found the most faithful in? What is it that he wants you to produce the most fruit through? Well, are we producing fruit? Where are we producing fruit the most? What area of our life is producing the most fruit? Focus on that. Hopefully you're not sitting here saying, I don't know what fruit I'm producing. Well, if that is the case, you really need to do some soul searching. Ask God, what is it that's keeping me from producing fruit? Is it fear for what from what society may say? Fear that somebody may attack me or ridicule me? Or, or is it just because I'm a lazy person and just don't want to do anything? Whatever it is, you need to deal with God. Find out why you're not producing fruit today. Is it... Unconfessed sin that's keeping you from having that right relationship with God, that you need to spend time confessing, repenting, turning away from that sin, letting God to purify your heart, soul, mind, and strength so that you can live for Him? What is it that's keeping you from producing fruit? That's what you gotta ask. Then if you know that there's areas of your life that you're producing fruit. What is producing fruit? Have you have you ever read the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, those are fruit of the Spirit. But it goes a whole lot further than just having those attributes or characteristics. It means sharing God with others. See, fruit is really new growth. It is others coming to Christ. Fruit is reproducing what God's given you. God's given you life eternal, and we need to produce that same fruit. You don't get oranges off an apple tree. You don't get apples off of an orange tree. If God has given us spiritual fruit, then what are we supposed to be producing? Spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit is salvation. The greatest way to do that is share the love that God has. Did did you notice how many times love is used in this passage of Scripture? Look at verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. Obedience and love go hand in hand. I think we dealt with that last week, didn't we? Obedience and love go hand in hand. You cannot obey God without loving God. You cannot love God without having a desire to obey God. That is how we produce spiritual fruit. We're the only thing that's in the way. God is on His throne God has the power through his Holy Spirit working in us and through us to produce spiritual fruit. You and I are the only thing that keeps that spiritual fruit from being produced. So if we're not producing fruit or we're not producing much fruit, we're not producing the best fruit, then we need to allow God to examine our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirits, our entire being, and allow him to prune us. Get rid of that which is decayed and dead. Prune away that which is not most important. And help us to focus on the truth. And share that truth with others. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, when we read this passage, it's such a beautiful passage about buried fruit about love, about a relationship, about the benefits of that relationship, then, Lord, we have to realize that it's also a message of discipline. We're realizing that none of us are where we need to be spiritually, or we need to allow you to come in and prune away that which is dead and diseased, prune away that which is weak and not bearing much fruit so that what is most important, what the main thing that you have called us to do, we do faithfully and bear much fruit. Lord, forgive us for all that we are holding back, all the sinfulness that we are not willing to confess. Help us to confess it, to turn away from it, repent, to receive your cleansing so that we will stand before you pure and holy, pruned so that we can be found strong and faithful. Lord, may we begin seeing not more fruit, but much fruit as you work in us and through us through your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.